there's a significant number of dramatic changes that have to happen in higher education over the next 20 years, just because of demographic changes, how the modality, how we deliver content, what types of content, who's it right for. And the concept of personalization or individualization is really critical. So how do we understand each individual and what their needs are? And so that's where I think that we go. We get so deep in understanding of these individuals that we're able to help them see the pathway for them, whether it be through college or through their career or through whatever their personal growth plans are. And you need you need technology and delivery platforms that enable you to do that. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me again. I hope you're all having a good week. I've got the pleasure today of talking to a real entrepreneur, and it's going to be fun, Andy Hanna. And he's the president of the OTHOT division of a company called Liaison International. And they're doing some really neat things with higher education technology, and he'll tell us about that. But he's also the adjunct professor of business analytics and entrepreneur in residence at the University of Pittsburgh. And that, that's just totally awesome. And there he's developing a curriculum I guess you'd say it, a curriculum student experience at the intersection of analytics and entrepreneurship, focused on skills for graduates to be leaders in the blossoming business analytics field, which is really a hot field, especially around innovation, as many of you listeners know. He's a senior advisor and faculty member of the International Institute of Analytics. So, Andy, welcome to the show. Hey, Paul, great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining me. Now, where are you speaking to us from today? I'm actually in a little town called Carnegie, Pennsylvania, and it's right outside of Pittsburgh. You know, others might hear, you know, Carnegie as opposed to Carnegie. Ah. But, uh, you know, the Andrew Carnegie was here in Pittsburgh, an entrepreneur here, and uh, it's one of the reasons why we wanted to be in this region. You could tell whether they're locals or not by how they pronounce that name, don't, don't you? Absolutely. <laughs> Have you got a little bit of spring where you are or summer? Is it moving along for you? Yeah, you know, in in, uh, in Pittsburgh, April tends to be a little bit of winter and a little bit of summer. And, you know, spring kind of comes in May, believe it or not. So right now, we actually have a really nice day, you know, in the 60s, 70s, a little bit breezy, but beautiful outside. Fantastic. Fantastic. And it's a, it's a Friday when we're recording. So that brings you into a nice weekend, I'm sure. Absolutely. Well, Andy, tell us about OTHOT. What are you guys doing here? <laughs> yeah, sure. So OTHOT. We started OTHOT about eight years ago, and the idea was, can we bring techniques and technologies that are making sort of the bigger companies in the digital space like Amazon and Facebook and Google, you know, what's bringing them success? Can we bring that to higher education? And so we looked at it and said, you know, predictive and prescriptive analytics are really important in terms of nudging people's behavior to have some sort of outcome. So we said, okay, well, let's create a machine learning platform. So our, me and my co-founder said, can we create this platform that allows us to understand a student's behavior from the day that we meet them in high school through the days that they're an active alum? So what universities can do is use this platform to understand who's most likely to enroll in their university, who's most likely to be successful, graduate, 
get a job and help nudge them along the way to do things that are going to help improve their outcome all by using machine learning and understanding their behavior through data. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. But your, your experience in, in entrepreneurship goes back well before that. You've been kind of doing, doing things a lot. Share your journey in, in entrepreneurship for us. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I was talking to a group of students the other day and they wanted to sort of ask the same question. And, you know, there was patterns in my early life that, you know, sort of manifested itself in my in my 20s. I, I, I was a co-founder of a credit union in college. You know, I love the concept of startups. I always had this dream. I actually even tried to start a company that made round beach towels. Right? So, so when the when the sun moved, you just moved your body, not the towel. Hey, I like that idea. That, that company went nowhere. But. You know, and I, my early career was at Deloitte and I was working on some projects around, you know, business planning and working with some startups. And I just got this feeling like that's what I wanted to do. And so my entrepreneurial journey started with a company called Internet Securities, where we were mining data out of the former Soviet Union in the 1990s. These are when countries like Poland, Ukraine, Russia, others were trying to privatize their assets. And so we literally would mine data, put it on the Internet, get large banks and companies connected to the Internet for the first time sometimes so that they can download data about those countries if they wanted to do business or invest in those regions. And that's where the bug hit. That's I want to be in companies that are just creating the next thing, new stuff. And so that that's sort of how it started. And then I just I started teaching at Carnegie Mellon in the early 2000s on entrepreneurship and uh, spun a company out of there and and uh, and then just continue that journey through OTHOT to my my work at Pitt. Very nice. Very nice. And sharing back through your uh, your teaching others. I mean, a lot of us are in innovation, your entrepreneurship and innovation, and they they're related, but they're not always the same. Can you kind of draw that distinction a little bit? Yeah. So that, that's a really interesting question. Entrepreneurship is creating something out of nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean, you have no resources, no people, no customers, no investors, no anything. And there's this vision of something that could be very valuable to people, either because you're solving a problem or you're creating an opportunity. And the entrepreneur's job is sort of an orchestrator of all the resources that's going to bring that, that idea to you know, give birth to that idea and then grow it. And that's what I do mainly. But, you know, the innovation side is, okay, in my mind, you have this established business or you have a company and it needs to be injected with new ideas and new technologies and new products. How do we establish a framework and a process that allows these new ideas to grow when there are existing resources, but they're typically pointed at the core business as opposed to these new new businesses. So that's that's sort of how I would describe, at least in my world, how I see the difference. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I think, you know, if you're working on innovation in an established company, you're not having to find the funding. Well, you have to find the funding, but you're not you having to create an organization out of scratch. You're probably probably the organization probably exists, although not always, right? So there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels. Yeah, there are, but you're, you're able to leverage. I think yeah. the difference is that you can leverage resources that exist when through that innovation process, whereas in the entrepreneurship, it is whole cloth. 
right? Brand new. I think that's, that's, that's a good distinction. A subtle way to yeah, yeah. But in your career, you've done a lot of innovation, right? You've <laughs> certainly seen a lot and done a lot. And at Othot now, you're doing what I would call fairly advanced innovation. You've got some new technologies that you're you're looking to bring together to to focus on a problem. Share share some of that technology landscape that you're kind of looking at. Yeah, I think when we look at the concept of using machine learning in AI, that seems like a very daunting task to most organizations. Even though we read a lot about it, the popular press, we know that probably only about 20% of large companies have taken AI to scale, a very small amount. And then when you go to medium and small companies, really, there's not much that's been going on in terms of that adoption. So it's, you know, so the technology, the data, the people that you need is pretty significant. So what we wanted to do is put, how do we put that in one package? How do we, how do we create a platform that enables any organization, in this case, we're focused on higher education, but that they could effectively pipe in their data from numerous sources at a university that becomes the fuel to the analytics engine. So the analytics engine, you have to point it in the direction that you want to go. Like, I want to, to predict the likelihood of an individual to persist from freshman to sophomore year or to graduate or to get a job within the first six months of graduation. So that outcome, so that's what you're telling the, the engine to solve for. And then the data flows in order to provide that outcome. And that gives the people who use it real tools in order to solve the problems or create the opportunities. So it's using those, that engine is really where the innovation is. That, that collection of data, feeding it into that engine is where the innovation is. Yeah. Did you, did you start with the, oh, we have an idea to use some technology in this area and then kind of morph it into a business problem? Or did you really start with, the, this is a challenge. Universities don't know the likelihood of a student progressing from, from one year to the other, how could we solve it? Which way did you come at that problem? So neither. Neither, so, I love it. <laughs> so, so our vision was we wanted to democratize predictive analytics generally. And so the idea was the problem was that cost structure, the, the ability to, to hire the right people and put the infrastructure in place, the engine in place, the pipes from the data, that's a, that's a daunting task. So what we said is, let's take the difficulty of all that out of the picture and create this platform that allows easy adoption and easy use. And so we started working on that and looked at a number of different use cases, probably 10, 12 different use cases, different industries. And I've done a lot of work in, at universities, and we met up with the VP of enrollment there, Mark Harding, and was describing what we were doing and said, hey, you know, we can, we can understand every individual, their likelihood to enroll and what motivates them. Was it money? Is it relationship? Is it marketing? Et cetera. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I, we want that. I want it. Yeah, okay. And then we said, wow, that was a really quick response. <laughs> it's like, so we, we started to go out to other universities and say, here's what we're doing. We're democratizing predictive analytics and we're aiming it at higher education. What do you think? And it's like, everybody's like, yeah, that's definitely, we need that. We need that. We need that. And we're like, okay, so here's where we're going. And so that's how we ended up getting into that, into that field. 
Yeah, but pretty good market validation there. That's for sure. That's awesome. Now, is this something you, when you start from scratch and you're going to move into something like this, I mean, you've got to, you've got to find a technologist. You've got to find the technologies, right? There's probably a lot of different, certainly business analytics engines and, and techniques and technologies, and let alone the whole AI side. You know, how do you, how does it, how do you get started with something like that? You just, go put an ad in the paper and start looking for people? Or is it, you know, when you really need a subject matter expertise in a new area like that? Yeah, I think so that that's what sort of the the creation process is about is how do you connect people and technologies and idea and collecting people is sort of a hobby of mine. And so I'd love to meet new people. I love to learn about what they're doing. I mean, I was lucky I had my, one of my co, both of my co-founders, John Abadico, Jeremy Garvey. We all know a lot of people. We understand technology. But my first job became, okay, I, we need a, a data scientist. We need somebody who's forward thinking, who's entrepreneurial. And of course, we have a great school at, at the University of Pittsburgh who, who graduates these PhDs and you know, so I went over and met with the, the professors over there and I said, I need a recent PhD who really likes entrepreneurship and wants to be involved in this new adventure that we're going on. And they, they connected me to a guy named Mark Fortman, who's awesome, still with us today, eight years later. And he loved the concepts of entrepreneurship and hadn't been involved in a successful startup yet. And he became sort of the anchor of that piece. John, our other co-founder, I mean, he knows technology infrastructure and scaling and the latest and greatest technology. So you put those two people together and you get magic. Yeah, super. I love the university connection too. You know, a, a lot of uh, ability to tap into to the connections that you have through that. That's really exciting. Now, did you launch the product yet? Has it been in the market? Oh, we, yeah. I mean, one of our tenants of this company is that we generate revenue as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. So even from our first customer on, we were in the market with a prototype that was had enough value that people were willing to pay for it. And, and so since I would say 2000, we started the company in 2014, I'd say from 16 on, we were generating revenue because that's where, you know, my belief is you, you got to get people to pay for it because they're going to demand performance that they're paying for something. And so that's how you refine your product because people are demanding a certain level of performance and a delivery of what you've spec'd out for them. So now we're probably working with 75 different universities across the, uh, the country. And we recently were acquired by Liaison back about a year ago, almost exactly. And they have a thousand universities that we're now developing relationships with and going to be, you know, our, our technology is going to be in every single one of them. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and, and Liaison has multiple products. I don't know. Is that, are they, do they have a lot of products? Do they have a lot of markets? Are they focused mostly in still higher ed? Oh, it's, it's all higher ed. It is, you know, the ed tech company in higher education when it comes to the student life cycle. So we really, we have, we have a mission of not only helping universities make their processes more effective and more efficient, but we're really aimed at how do we reduce the cost of education for a student. We want every student to be educated and we want them to pay the, you know, the right amount for them so that access and authority becomes a real thing. You know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are listening, seeing the 
the humanitarian side of everything you're talking about as well. It's not just uh, this is a product that helps you know, affects people's lives in a way, uh, which is really pretty neat. It really does. I mean, we're working on a product right now that helps identify, well, helps bring those who have stopped out of higher education back to finish their degree. I mean, to me, if we can be part of that process for those who do want that degree, but maybe, you know, just missed by a semester, or maybe they started but didn't have the resources to finish, you know, how do we identify those individuals and how do we get them back into school and get them get their degree in their hands. That's pretty cool. I just, I, I know plenty of people are in that situation. So that'd be really, it'd be very fulfilling for them. It'd be good for, good for our society. Now tell you a few words about scaling. So when you, when you came out, you found a launching customer, it sounds like that you built it with. How do you move from there to scaling across a lot of universities? Was that a sales and marketing effort? Was it a referral product led? What type of models? Um, oh, interesting. I, my mind was going to the technology. You, yeah, and yeah. you were going to, to the, the business. business side. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think they go hand in hand because one of the really unique things about the OTHOP platform is that it, the, every model is specific to a university and to whatever problem that they're trying to solve for. So the ability to build something that is so customized but scalable is really the trick in what we've done that allows us to scale from a technology perspective, but yet, you know, from a business perspective, have good margins. And so, and that became a, a really core selling point for the company as we would go out and talk to universities and they'd say, oh, you have this, how do we know this model is going to work for us? I was like, no, this model will work for you because it is related to the students who come to your university. And they're like, it, so it's getting them into the thought process of everything is individualized, everything is personalized. And so for scaling for us, and, you know, we, we hired a VP of sales and, you know, we were just, um, uh, we were evangelists going out and talking because we're ahead of the market, we're ahead of the curve. And, you know, once you get to about 50 universities and you kind of figure out, oh, we got, we got there. And, but then we knew that we needed a partner like Liaison if we really wanted to be broad, you know, broadly across the, across the landscape. So that's what they, they've helped us do. And we're on a journey now. Was, was any of Jeff, Jeffrey Moore's crossing the chasm? Have you, have you, <laughs> it feels like, you know, that may have been what you were doing, trying to get it. Or is that just not appropriate? Starting to go, yeah. I, I relate a lot to Christensen. There and, you go. And yeah. Disruptive innovation. And, okay. You know, crossing the chasm, I think, you know, getting those first early adopters is important and getting, the, you know, the, the majority to follow on, absolutely important. It, it, I think the biggest hurdle is we, we're not really changing workflow because right now a lot of these universities are using consultants to help them do what we're doing. We're replacing consultants with artificial intelligence and machine learning that helps them make better decisions as individuals. So in how you get people to think differently about solving the problem in the workflow and inserting this into the workflow is, is the biggest challenge. And, you know, we've, the more well-known we become, the easier it becomes to, for people to understand what we're doing. Yeah, gotcha. And how do you manage your, your, your roadmap now of kind of where you're going? It sounds like very successful start, adding value right away, 
do you see then there's a a branch beyond this or is it just to stay in the analytics area what's what's that look like yeah i you know it's really the data and the analytics side and i you know one of the great things about being part of a larger company is my job really is I have that freedom to create. So I'm, I'm more about innovation now than I was yes, before right. as opposed to entrepreneurship, right? So I have an infrastructure, you know, I have resources to hire. And so my job is to say, okay, where do we go next? And how do we take data and analytics for colleges and universities to the next level? And one of the biggest issues that we face in higher education is what everybody refers to as a demographic cliff, which is that we, as a result of the 2008 financial crisis, we're going to see a big fall off in college freshmen beginning in the year 2024, right? Because there was a a birth dearth that doesn't really manifest itself for 18 years. And so now we're getting there. Wow. I had no concept of this. And, and it just, and for whatever reason, we've stopped, you know, having as many children in this country as we've had in the past. And now with the pandemic, we've had less. So you're going to see this cliff that's happening. So we need to think differently about how we serve people from edu- in higher, inst- higher education. How do we serve a broader cl- group of, of individuals? So we looked at that and said, okay, graduate school you'd find it interesting that the same percentage of individuals who have a graduate degree existed in people who had an undergraduate degree in the early 1960s, so about 16% of the population. And so that's grown massively over time. That's going to happen in graduate school as well. So there's going to be a, a flood of graduate school candidates over time, the degree completers, as I mentioned before, and people who want to upskill. So they want additional education. So my job is how do we find those people all across the country, all those adults who want more education, and how do we show our clients that they that which ones of them are the best fits for them or have the highest probability of enrolling for that type of education in their colleges and universities. And so that's that's sort of what we're working on right now, which is a really cool project. Like, you know, we have 290 million adults that are in our database right now that we're understanding their propensity to to acquire additional education. Yeah, that's incredible. What a neat story. I learned so much just listening to that. I had no idea of this this cliff you spoke about. It makes sense. But if you're not involved in higher education, you wouldn't quite see it coming. Yeah. Right. Well, where do you see, you know, yourself in, in or this, you know, your project here, let's say in five or 10 years, you see it just continuing down the road of, of universities? and, and... I, I love the university space ever since I started teaching at CMU back in the early 2000s. You know, I knew that that was, a, that was a, an arena that I wanted to continue to play in. And, you know, I, I work a lot with, with students and mentoring and helping them to, to find their pathway post-graduation. So I love, you know, I love the industry. So I want to continue to serve the industry. So for me personally, and there's no shortage, you know, there's a dramatic number, there's a significant number of dramatic changes that have to happen in higher education over the next 20 years, just because of demographic changes, how the modality, how we deliver content, what types of content, who's it right for. 
And the concept of personalization or individualization is really critical. So how do we understand each individual and what their needs are? And so that's where I think that we go. We get so deep in understanding of these individuals that we're able to help them see the pathway for them, whether it be through college or through their career or through whatever their personal growth plans are. And you need any technology and delivery platforms that enable you to do that. So that's sort of where I see my going. So you have this whole future, plenty of things, plenty of places that could branch to. No end. Going to be exciting. Going to be exciting to watch and follow where you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Andy, I enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did as well. I didn't know if there's, you know, one piece of advice you wanted to share to to somebody in the audience, maybe who's working in innovation or entrepreneurship. I mean, maybe I'll stick with innovation. Yeah. You know, innovation, so much of innovation is about change management because you're creating something and you're going to ask your organization to do something different with whatever you've created. And I think that understanding all the stakeholders involved in that change management. So when you create something new, first of all, to get the buy-in that there's a need in the market, that it fits with your company, you know, that it's worth putting the resources into. I mean, you have to be an evangelist internally in order to make that happen. And then to manage every, you know, even when you get the green light, that, you know, the sales force has to be excited about what you're doing. So if you're not, you know, having those one individual meetings with some of the sales leaders and saying, hey, look, you know, this is going to be the next great product. You want to get in front of this. And so I can give you in our company, you know, I meet with the VPs of sales and tell them, get them excited about what's going on. And then they go test the market and they go, oh, yeah, there's a need for that. And I say, "Okay, well, let's pick out three or five salespeople and let's train them early. So that they're out there. So, I mean, it's that, that buy-in, that, that swell of buy-in, I think, that makes innovative products successful. So that's, I guess, that change management, that stakeholder management is, is first on my list, not, not second, not third, not fourth. Right. That's first on my list. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I've seen so many companies make a product and just ignore. They don't think enough about the launch, or if they do, they certainly don't think enough about the, the sales organization. And you're so right. That's where it happens. And those are the people, it's either going to be a hit or not a hit based on that organization. Tap yeah, in. They, you're right. They have plenty of things to sell. Yeah, you're right. 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 And, you know, and so when I, you know, I'm an evangelist, so I'm out there selling. And if I can come back and say, hey, you know, we, we've got this first customer and here's what they're interested in. And here's why they're buying it. And then people go, oh, I, I get it. You know, it's like, yeah. I, if he can sell it, I can sell it. Right. There's a lot of, oh, I could do that too. A lot of following kind of thing out yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Great. Well, Andy, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for thanks for stopping in and saying hello to us and sharing your experiences with our audience. I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy uh, what, what you had to say. Well, Paul, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I love talking about those things. I love what you're doing. I love what Sofian's doing. So I'm happy to be very supportive. Great, great. Thanks for that, Andy. And uh, yeah, have a have a great week ahead. It's spring, summer. Let's just keep in touch, okay? <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Paul. Oh, one last question I wanted to ask yeah. you. If people want to follow you, they kind of want to just check in. Is there, what's the best way to, to do that? 
Yeah, follow me on LinkedIn. That's, I mean, that's where I spend most of my posting time. But would you know, you can you can find me just at if you if you Google, you know, Andy Hanna LinkedIn and either Othot or Liaison, you'll find me pretty easily. Yeah, we'll put some notes in the show notes as well. Some Fantastic. links in the show notes. Great. Okay, Andy, you take care. All right, Paul. Thanks a lot. And to you, all our listeners, thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And hope you have a, a great week ahead. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com. S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com. <laughs>